Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever wondered what God looks like? Since none of us have seen God, it's hard to say. I was curious as to what others might have thought he looked like, so I googled the question, what does God look like, and here are the results. Now, some have tried, as you can see, to capture what God might look like, even if it's done disrespectfully. We have a macho man, Randy Savage, right there, and and down here we've got uh, Morgan Freeman from, uh, he played the God in in the movie Bruce Almighty, and a couple pictures have a little more uh, generic Picture the stereotype of God with the, with the big flowing robe and the big white beard. I was surprised that uh, this image didn't make it into the, the top 15 there. That's, uh, that's God being painted in the uh, ceiling of the Sistine Chapel by Michelangelo. Now, a couple of the images here have Jesus, actually. They have pictures of Jesus, or miraculously saying, uh, they have paintings of Jesus. And there are a lot of paintings of Jesus. Some have painted Jesus with uh, blue eyes and blonde hair, looking rather Norwegian or maybe even German. And there are some paintings where Jesus is made black. I've heard of some paintings where he's portrayed as an Indian, both Native American and from India. And some even have him painted painted with earth-colored skin and slanted eyes. But it's always a guess because none of us have seen God. So it's hard to answer the question, what does God look like? I ran across an old story about a man who visited a home where there were five children. He was supposed to be some kind of a godfather to them, and so he was trying to relate with them on their level. He asked one of the little girls about her doll collection. Which one's your favorite, he said. Promise you won't laugh if I tell you, she asked. He goes, I won't laugh. And so she ran out of the room and brought back a doll that was the most tattered, dilapidated, worn-out doll he'd ever seen, a real refugee from the trash heap. All of the hair was missing, the nose was broken off, and the arm was cracked. He didn't laugh, but he, he couldn't cover his surprise either. He said to her, why do you love this one the most? And the little girl replied, because she needs it the most. If I didn't love her, nobody would. That little girl correctly echoed the words of the angels on Christmas Eve, the words of the Savior on Good Friday, the proclamation at the tomb at Easter. God loved us when nobody else would. To the government, we are a number to be processed, pulled, and tallied. To businesses, we are consumers with wallets to be emptied. But to God, to God, we are the objects of his mercy and grace. God loved us when nobody else would. He tells us that in the life of his son, in the life of the Savior from first cry in Bethlehem to his last cry upon Calvary's cross, We are told exactly and in no uncertain terms what God looks like. God looks like love. Now, I'm not talking about fluffy, foo-foo love. I'm not saying that God is an emotion or a good feeling that is just floating around somewhere. 
What I'm saying is that God can be seen in his actions, and his actions show love. Love beyond anything we as humans can imagine or duplicate. Love that transcends our human definition of love. Because we've all seen human love, right? You see it at weddings. And I'm not talking between the bride and the groom. If you want to see love at a wedding, you have to look at the grandmothers who are sitting there thinking about their wedding day many years ago, thinking about all the good and the bad that this young couple can't even anticipate. They would share their memories of the day, but nobody asked them. So all they do is love. Yes, you can also see it in the eyes of a mom who takes the dandelions picked by her son and puts them on a glass vase on the kitchen table. You see it when she saves the crayon-colored cards with the backwards letters as they are offered up as prized gifts made especially for her. You can see love in the eyes of an 83-year-old widow who is headed to the nursing home as she shuts the door to her house where she had lived in happy marriage for 51 years where they raised their four children. Love was there. You can see love in the eyes of mothers and fathers when their son gets off a plane or troop transport returning from a stint in a war zone. Yes, we've all seen love, but it's not sustained. Human beings can't do it. It's there, but it's only a flash, only fleeting, and then it's gone. Not so with God. Do you really want to know what God looks like? Look into the manger, then look to the cross, and then look to the empty tomb. There you will see what God looks like. When Adam and Eve first sinned, causing the world to fall into sin, God was still love. Rather than allowing humanity to suffer in hell, instead he gave them a promise that a Savior would come. And when the faithfulness of the children of Israel waxed and wanes over the generations, when his people rebelled and turned away, he still loved them. God loved without stopping. Jesus gave his disciples a glimpse of what that love without stopping would look like when he said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And today in our gospel reading, we see how Jesus shows us that love when he suffers and dies on the cross. Today we recall the events of Good Friday, the Friday during Holy Week, the Friday before Easter, the day that Christ died, the day Christ died, crucified upon a cross. It's funny how we Christians talk about the cross of Christ. In English grammar, the cross of Christ is actually a figure of speech called synecdoche. Now maybe this word is new to you, but I guarantee you the concept isn't. It's when a part of the whole represents the whole. To illustrate this, I have two examples. The first is to tickle the ivories. This phrase means to play the piano, where the white keys of a piano are actually, they used to be made out of ivory, like that from a tusk of an animal. 
Now, there's much more to a piano than just the white coverings of the keys that get pushed down. But what we have here are the parts, the ivories, representing the whole, the piano. <clears throat> Another more exa uh, prime example of this is I got a new set of wheels. <clears throat> when somebody gets a new car, yes, <clears throat> there are wheels. But there's much more than just wheels, like the engine and the seats. Again, we have the part, the wheels, representing the whole, the car. And in a way, it functions as a sort of a shorthand in communication. But it does more. By using synecdoche, the storyteller gives otherwise common ideas or objects deeper meaning and thus draws the listener's attention. This is also true for the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He does this again in the book of Galatians. He talks about the cross of Christ being the source of persecution for early followers of Jesus. After reading these passages, which deal with the cross of Christ. I'm guessing people understand Paul isn't just preaching about a piece of lumber. He isn't suffering for just timber. No, Paul was using a figure of speech where the part, in this case the cross, stands in for the whole, as in the whole gospel. Because even though we focus on the cross, especially when we consider the death that Jesus suffered upon it, that isn't the whole story. The virgin birth, the sinless life, the temptation into uh, sin by Satan, all of the uh, healings and the miracles, the teaching, his suffering, his death, and especially his resurrection, they are all representing who Jesus is and what he came to do. And we use the cross as shorthand to talk about God's love. Because let's face the facts. The reason Jesus had to go to the cross was because of you and me and all of the sin that we commit, all of the sin that needs forgiveness. We have a shining example of what perfect love looks like in our God, and can we love our neighbors without fail all the time? Can we go even one day without sinning? No. No. And God knows that. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why he had to die on the cross. The punishment that we deserve on account of our sin, Jesus takes it upon himself. He carries it to the cross, and he allows the weight of that sin to crush him. So what does God look like? He looks like love. That's not to say that, I'm not saying that God is an emotion or a feeling. God is not fluffy, foo-foo love. God is, God is love, describes everything that he does. He created us because of love. He made a plan of salvation to save us out of love. He came into this world on that first Christmas out of love. And he went to the cross out of love. And he sends his Holy Spirit to call you to faith in him out of love. 
And so, to answer the question, what does God look like? Just look at what he's done for you, and you'll see. Let's pray. Paraphrasing the words, the last verse in our sermon hymn, God, we give you thanks for the love you've shown us, and now we will praise you, O love eternal. Now we will praise you all our life long. In Jesus' name, amen.